Well, good morning. My name is Brent, and um, as Dr. Ray said, and I have the privilege of being able to be a part of our staff team here at PBCC, a part of our church family, as I get to work with growth groups. And so it's a privilege for me to be able to share with you as we continue our series on the lies we believe. Uh, this past week, as we were at a staff meeting and staff, staff gathering um, that Dr. Ray referred to, um, a phrase was used that I had heard before, but as I began to think through and process this specific, this specific message, it came to kind of a, a new light for me. And the phrase was this, is that your perception is your reality. Your perception is your reality. And what's interesting about that statement is it doesn't say that your perception is reality, because it's very possible that what you perceive to be true isn't really true. But to you, it is true. And I take that comment with a comment I heard several years ago in this, truth is independent of belief. Whether you believe something to be true or not doesn't change whether or not it's true. If we got everybody in this room to believe that two plus two equaled six, we would still all be wrong. Truth is independent of belief. And your reality or your perception may be your reality, but it's not necessarily reality as it should be. And as I was thinking through the lies we believe about God and the lies that we kind of have in our mind, I began to think through, well, what are the messages that create the perception in our mind? You see, what we perceive is usually a buildup of either messages that we're bombarded with, so we finally just break down and say, well, if this is the message, then we must, we must believe it. I mean, there's enough people talking about it. Or it's been behavior that's reinforced. Something that we've believed and it's been positively reinforced. And time and time again, we say it, we believe it, so it must be true. But as you think about this, you think about in the context of who God is, let me just try to create a mental picture for you. When you hear the word God, whether you believe God, whether you've believed God for a really long time, you may even be here today and believe that God doesn't even exist. And that's okay. I'm glad you're here. But still, when you hear the word God, some mental picture comes to mind. Let me ask you this. Do you think of a benevolent gift giver, kind of like the big Santa Claus in the sky who just exists to give you something and to, to pour out good stuff to you? And he's just, you know, this big kind of just loves to give hugs, just this friendly gift-giving person? Or do you think more of this angry judge who's got the long pointed nose and likes to point his finger at you when you do something wrong? What picture comes to mind when you think of God? Do you think of this lovable daddy that you can just run and climb up in his lap and just kind of sit there and, and, and have story time? Or do you picture this strict father like, um, like the dad from uh, The Sound of Music who blows a whistle and you do what he says when he says to do it? What comes to mind when you think of the word God? What comes to mind when you think of the person God? What comes to mind when you think about your life in relationship to God? You see, our percep perception creates our own reality. But we have to step back and see whether or not our perception is reality. And this morning, we're going to look at some things that hopefully will help us understand the lies we believe about God and then the truths to counteract each of those lies. A few weeks ago, we looked at the lies we believe about ourselves. A couple weeks ago, we saw the lies that we, that we believe about life. Last week, we spent some time talking about the lies we believe about marriage. And today, we're talking about the lies we believe about God. 
as we think of these things, you're probably going to say, well, I don't necessarily identify with that one or I don't identify with this one. But I bet you do know some people who can identify with one, two, three, maybe all of these things today. The first lie I think we believe about God is this. The first lie is, I must earn God's love. I must earn God's love. I think a lot of people go through life kind of playing this this board game of, I've got to accumulate so many good points so that anything that bad happens, the good outweighs the bad. Some of us have a perception of God that he's sitting up there with all of his accountants and all of his bean counters and everybody's up there and they have this scale with your name on it. And every time you do something good, it goes on the good side. Every time you do something bad, it goes on the bad side. And that God is weighing this thing out. And his love, there's a little meter at the top, and his love gets, gets better for you or more for you as the good gets better. But then as the bad builds up, then the love gets a little bit less. And he doesn't, he doesn't love you as much as he does when you're doing all good things. And we kind of live this life with an effort of doing stuff, climbing a ladder, trying to, to tip the scales so that God will love us more. But the truth is this. God loves you regardless. God loves you regardless. Look, God doesn't look at your life and say, because you're good at A, B, and C, I love you. God doesn't look and see your actions. The reality is is that God's love is independent of what I do. God loves you regardless. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in a letter to the church at Rome. He says, God showed his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look, when we weren't even thinking about God, when we were turning our back against God, Paul goes, actually uses the word enemy. When we were an enemy of God, when we were intentionally choosing to do things against God, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves you. Even in those moments when you think you're going against God, you're running as hard and as fast and as far as you can away from God. He's one step away to returning back to him because his love pursues you. He loves you very, very much. He loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Paul went on to say later in this same letter in Romans chapter 8, he says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the phrase in there, just from a technical perspective, when he says, nor anything else in all creation, he means nothing else. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's not a list of bad stuff that you can do that he loves you less. Hear me today when I say to you this. You don't have to earn God's love. He loves you regardless. You learned this. For those of you that maybe grew up in a church background, you you learned this when you were in kindergarten. Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. And yet so many people get caught up in this perception that I have to earn God's love. Stop. You don't have to. He can't love you more today than he ever has because he loves you with all that he has. The second lie 
kind of a close cousin to the first one is we begin to think of all the bad things that we've done. And the first one we say we must earn God's love. The second lie is this, is that we begin to think that God can't forgive my sin. We begin to live a life that says God can't forgive me. You would sit there across from me and say, you know what, Brent, you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the choices that I've made. God can't forgive that. God can't forgive what I've done in my past. Man, if they ever made a movie of my past, they wouldn't even make it to theaters because they wouldn't be allowed to show all the stuff that I've done. God can't forgive that. If, if he really knew what I did, which I think he does, he would never forgive me. And we carry around this load of guilt, this guilt that says I'm too ashamed, I'm, I'm unworthy, there's... There, my past keeps me from having the future I desire. My past keeps me from being redeemed by God because it's so awful. If you only knew. That's a lie. The truth is this, is that God forgives. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you come from. There is no sin that God cannot overcome because of what his son Jesus did on a cross for you. There's even a story in the New Testament where one of the most unusual stories where there's a woman caught in adultery. And at some point I'd love to like ask, like, how does that, like, all these, this, this group of men, right, caught this woman in adultery. That just sounds weird to me. Like, were they in the closet? Were they hanging? I mean, wh- how, how did this, like, wh- what's the deal here? But anyway, this woman is caught in adultery. And she's brought out to the street, and she's thrown down to the ground. And they're getting ready to pick up these stones. And Jesus stops the whole thing. And he says, look, which one of you is without sin? And they all walk away. The Bible never says that what she did was okay. Jesus never says, look, what you did was okay. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 8. The one, to the woman caught in adultery, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus says, look, I don't condemn you. I don't throw stones at you. I love you. I forgive you. Pick up the pieces and let's move on. Jesus never says what you did was good and acceptable. He just says, I'm not here to cast judgment. I'm here to pick you up, to carry you along the way so that you can become all that I have for you. That's what God does for us. When we miss that mark, when we miss that standard, that's the truth. The truth is, is that God forgives. The same John that records this story in John chapter 8 wrote in a letter to believers later in 1 John. In 1 John 1, he says this. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from. God can forgive you. You may be sitting there and saying, but I just, I feel so bad. I mean, surely someone has to pay the price. I've done these things. I I deserve to be punished. I deserve something. Somebody has to pay the price for what I've done. You're absolutely 100% right. There is a price that has to be paid. The Apostle Paul says that the the wages of sin, the consequence of sin is death. But see, the price has already been paid. You don't have to pay it. 
because it's already been paid by Jesus Christ. You see, God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth that he would die a criminal's death. On a cross like that, he would voluntarily give up his life. He would stretch out his arms and he would die for you. That whoever believes in him doesn't have to pay this price. That whoever believes in him, the guilt of sin and the shame of our mistakes and, and, and the horrific reminders of our past can be wiped away because of what Jesus did on a cross. Because God's own son died in my place and in your place. You see, God forgives all of your sins of the past, the sins you've committed today already, the sins you might be committing as you sit here, and all the sins of your future have been washed clean because of what Christ has done for you. You may be here today and you've never heard that story. Let me just challenge you to think through the truth of the fact that, that whatever your perception is, the truth is and the reality is, is that God loves you and has a plan for your life. And that if you surrender your life over to him, that he will cleanse you and he will make you whole and you could have eternal life with him. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the, the reminder of the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ and the elements will be passed as symbols for what Christ has done for you. But I encourage you, before taking that, you need to have a relationship with Christ so you understand the significance of it. And if you're here today and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, there's not a set of magic words. You just ask him. You admit that you need him. You admit that you've lived a life of sin, that, that you can't do anything on your own, but you just ask God to come into your life. You surrender to him all that you have and all that you are and all that you'll ever be. And if you give that to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you and will give you new life. And before you leave here today, I challenge you and ask you, I would beg that you would consider the truth of what God says, of his love, so that you would leave here forever changed. For others, maybe you've crossed that line of faith. At some point in your life, you've said, yes, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, and I would call myself a Christian. I would call myself a Christ follower. Well, even as Christ followers, we have some lies that we believe. The next lie that we believe is that of the Christian where he says, since I'm a Christian, life should be easy. Life should be easy because I'm a Christian. I, I don't know what other to say than, than wrong, false, uh, I, I don't know how to communicate any other thing. You see, sometimes we've been sold a bill of goods. We've been sold this idea that with Jesus in your life, everything is smooth. Ask Jesus into your life, and, and it'll be easy from here on. Yeah, that guy lied to you, okay? I don't know who it was, but he lied to you. And if I've said it, I lied to you. Having Christ in your life gives you a better life, but it doesn't give you an easier life. You see, the reality is, is that Jesus, even talking to his own disciples, said, you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to be beat up, and you're going to be imprisoned. You're going to do all these things. Have a good time. Go. The truth is, life is hard. 
whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, the reality is not different. Life is hard. Jesus told his disciples this in John 16. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Peter, who heard those words of Jesus, later wrote to some believers. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised, don't be shocked at the fiery, tri fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He says, look, when hard times come along, don't be surprised. Don't be like, oh my goodness, I didn't see this coming. Peter says, it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. James, the brother of Jesus, said this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's going to happen. We think sometimes life should be easy because I have a relationship with God and I'm a Christian and so my life should just be smooth. Nope. The truth is life is hard. And the next lie sometimes we, we jump into, we think that the hard times in our life is our own fault. Sometimes we say that the problems in my life are caused by my sin. The problems in my life I bring on myself. You see, when I do something bad, there's a cause-effect relationship. I do something bad, there's punishment. And that's why my life is hard. Amy and I have this thing. I, I started it, and now it's unfortunately something I think we're passing on to our children, but you ever, have you ever done this thing where, like, you know, somebody will say something, like a snarky comment to you or whatever, and then as they're walking away, they turn and they stub their toe? Yeah, usually if that happens, like if Amy says something snarky to me and she turns around and stubs her toe, I'll say, that's the Lord. <laughs> you know, the other day she told me this past week that, 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 was it Grace that did this? Grace did something, and then as she turned around, she fell down and hurt her arm, and Amy just looked at her and goes, that's the Lord. We have this idea in our mind that when we do bad stuff, bad stuff will happen to us. Now, I'm just telling you, that's not a good parenting tip, all right? Let me back up here. That, that's not healthy. That's not good. That, okay, it's not a healthy relationship for me, for me to say those things to Amy. I'm not, I'm not giving, last week was marriage. This week, I'm, no, this is different, all right? What I am saying is, is that sometimes we have that mindset of, I do something bad, something bad is going to happen in return. The problems in my life are caused by my sin. This isn't new. The oldest book of the Bible is the book of Job. And Job experienced all this horrific stuff that happened to him. His family was taken away. He lost all of his business. He lost everything that he knew. And his friends came along and said, man, what would you do to deserve that? It's the oldest trick in the book. We believe that the bad things happen because of the sin in my life. But the truth, the truth is this. The truth is that the problems in my life are ultimately for God's glory. The truth is that the problems in my life are for God's glory. Sometimes, yes, absolutely, sometimes the problems in my life are caused by my sin. If I'm unfaithful to my wife, I'm going to have problems in our relationship. That's caused by my sin. Sometimes the troubles in my life are caused by somebody else's sin. Somebody who's been deceitful or, or dishonorable or someone who has stolen from your business. You have troubles because of the sin they committed in their lives. But there's other times when we just have troubles in our lives because it's life. And there's not a, a sin factor that we can point to that say, this choice, this intentional rebellion of God allowed for this to happen. 
Jesus was walking along in John chapter 9. And he saw a man that was blind. And, and the scriptures record the story like this. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not, at the, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We don't always understand when life is rough, when life is hard. We don't always get it. We aren't always able to figure it out. Too many times in life, we have to have the reasons. We have to have the answers. We have to say that this is happening because of this. But we need to rehearse the truth in our minds to understand the challenges in our lives are ultimately so that God can get the glory. The Apostle Paul writes this. says, we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Regardless of the cause, we can still see God's redemptive plan. We can still see God's sovereign hand. We can still see the fact that God is in control of the situation. It's not so much of what we've done to cause this, but we just know God's in control, and he's, he's got a bigger plan than I can understand. There's some sort of picture that I'll never see the whole thing, but he's at work. And I need to be okay with that. Another lie that sometimes we believe as Christians is this. A good Christian, whatever a good Christian is, a good Christian doesn't feel angry, worried, or depressed. Or insert any other negative emotion. A good Christian doesn't feel angry, worried, or depressed. Part of this comes from the earlier lie. We think that the Christian life is perfect. So when it doesn't go perfect, then we must be doing something wrong. We must be contributing to this, and because we're contributing to this, we shouldn't feel these negative emotions. Sometimes you have somebody who will challenge you, and they'll say, look, you shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't be worried. You shouldn't be depressed. If you had enough faith in God, you wouldn't feel this way. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you have heard that counsel before. You just need to have more faith in God, then you won't be worried. You need to have more faith in God, then you won't be depressed. You need to have more faith in God, and you won't allow your emotions to control you. The truth is that God created us emotional beings. God created us emotional beings. We are created in the image of God, and God was very emotional. God is very emotional. We need to understand that the emotions in our life, both the good ones and the bad ones, were placed there by God. Why is it okay for us to have emotions when it comes to happiness and joy and, 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 and freedom and, and all these other ideas that make us feel good? But then we turn around and say, but we're not supposed to have bad emotions. Emotions are emotions, whether they're good or bad, they're both placed there by God. And he created us to be emotional beings. You see, you don't have to look much further than God himself when you think of the person of Jesus Christ and how he reacted to different situations. Jesus, God himself, got angry. He went through the temple and turned over tables of the money changers. He made a whip and started beating stuff down. He got angry. Jesus was sad and depressed when his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, died. We see that the scriptures show that in this very human point of Jesus' life, he stops to cry and be emotional. 
We see where Jesus was disappointed as time and time again he would get frustrated and, and, and possibly, you know, even disappointed with his disciples because they just didn't get what he was saying. Time and time again he would say, you don't get it yet. You don't get it. You don't get it. And if you don't think Jesus ever had anxiety, you don't have to look very far than, than the night before he put himself on that cross. When he's in the garden and he's praying. And he's praying so fervently and so intently. And he's faced with the reality of what's coming that he begins to have blood seep through his skin as the capillaries underneath are bursting because of the stress. Tell me he didn't have anxiety. He knew what lay ahead of him for the next 72 hours. We were created to be emotional beings. Now at times we have to ask are our emotions chronic? Are they debilitating? Is there something we need to do to help get a grasp on them? But if they're short-term bursts in reaction to the reality of life, that's who God created us to be. We need to know and understand that it's okay to be emotional. Another lie that many of us fall into whether you're far from God or whether you don't think much about God or whether you're as close as you've ever been to him today. Sometimes we fall into this lie. God can't use me. I'm too broken. God can't use me. I'm too broken. Sometimes we look and we see my past didn't allow me to serve in this area. We look and we see where, you know, I'm just not where I should be right now, so I'm going to wait, and, and then when I get better, then I'll serve or I'll do something. God may be challenging you to step out in faith and to do something huge for him, and your response is, is look, God, you, don't, I mean, you know what people are going to say when they see this? You know what people are going to think? You know, I mean, they're going to look and say, I know the real you. Why are you trying to do this? There are times in our lives when we just think, you're too messed up. Let me just share this truth with you. We're all broken. We are all broken. We're all messed up. None of us are perfect. None of us have it under control. This past week, as we had an opportunity to, to bond as staff, you, you begin to see and because it's a relatively new staff, you begin to see and understand where we need each other because we're all messed up. Regardless of how good looking we are up here on stage, we're all ugly at 6 o'clock in the morning, okay? All of us, everybody is. Even the Apostle Paul. And this is what the Apostle Paul says as he wrote to the church at Corinth. Talking about God, he said, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God takes the brokenness of who you are and God takes the broken pieces of your life 
and he takes the broken pieces of my life, and he takes all these shattered parts and all these messed up lives and all these things that are far and, and, and disobedient to God and rebellious, and he takes up this piece here, and he takes up that piece here, and he pulls up this piece, and he begins to put these pieces of the puzzle together and creates this beautiful mosaic that shows all of our hurts for his glory, that shows all of our failures for his honor, that shows all of our messed upness so that he can create his body, his church, his people, so that when people look at it, they see it and they say, God's pretty cool how he made a beautiful piece of art out of all those broken pieces. That's what God does in our lives. You're right, you are messed up. But take comfort, we're all broken. None of us are perfect. If there's one main thing I want you to walk away with today, it's this. As we talk about the lies we believe about God, it's this truth. God does not lie. God does not lie. In the book of Numbers, it's recorded that God is not man, that he should lie. The writer of Hebrews says it's impossible for God to lie. And Paul, in a letter to Titus, says that God does not lie. The reason that's so important today is because when God tells you you are fearfully and wonderfully made, he means it. When God tells you that you are his masterpiece, he means it. When God tells you that you are created for a greater purpose, he absolutely means it. When he tells you, I know the plans I have for you, a future and a hope, he's not lying to you. When God tells you that he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you, that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. He's not lying to you. These guys aren't making this stuff up as they go. Jesus is, is, is the answer. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And we need to break all the perceptions we have about God, whatever mental image comes in, and begin to rehearse and practice and implement the truth of what God says he is, of who God says and what God says about himself. We need to begin to believe this and live in this and understand that God's plan is bigger than all of us. Would you pray with me this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed? A little bit ago I shared with you the, the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. If you're here today and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, and you want to experience the forgiveness and the freedom and the, the guilt-free living that comes through relationship with Christ, if you want the grace that God offers, there is nothing you can do to earn it. There is no price you have to pay because Jesus has already done it on the cross. And if you're here today and you want that free gift of salvation, pray something like this. Just admit to God that you need him. Tell God that you're a sinner and that you need his salvation. Ask him to come into your life to save you. Ask him to take control 
to redeem you. Ask him to restore you back to life. For others, if you're here today and you just want to get to this place where you surrender to the truth of who God is and what he has for your life, just ask God to speak to you in these moments. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. God calls upon us during that time to reflect, to reflect back to what Christ has done for us and to look forward to his return. I would encourage you here today just to take time to consider him, who he is, and his deep love for you. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, would you just speak to us in this moment, in this time? God, would you just continually pour your truth over our hearts and our minds and our lives? God, that we would not buy into the lies and the perceptions that we've created, but Lord, we would put our hope and our trust in the truth that you have given us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.